Welcome to the Outer Limits of the Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is probably going to be the most important show we are ever going to air. Because this particular show is going to focus on an event that some are calling the largest event in human history. It's a four-part series on the coming global financial collapse. This collapse has been foreseen and discussed for over 30 years by some economists, some historians, and some legendary investors. The elites of this world see this coming as clear as day. A lot of people don't, though. Long story short, when this event happens, the money in your pocket, the money in the bank, the money in your retirement account, your 401ks, your stocks, your bonds, Social Security, is going to be gone. Going to be worthless. That is what happens during hyperinflation, and that is exactly where we are headed. The U.S. dollar is a fiat-based currency. The funny thing about fiat-based currencies is that throughout history, a hundred percent of them have failed. They always fail. They always collapse. For some reason, humanity never seems to get the lesson. So. This event is foreseeable, and we're getting to that end point, and our all-star panel of experts are going to explain how, why, and what you can do to prepare. As of right now, if you have money in the bank, stocks, bonds, your money's not safe. I hate to tell you that. There's a story that just came out today in California about how some customers in Bank of America have the safety deposit box rated. If you have your wealth in a safety deposit box, the bank can close and you can't access it. If you have money in the bank or in your pocket, it is diminishing in value every day because of inflation. Let me give you an example of inflation because we keep on hearing these conferences saying, well, it's only 2% inflation. Everything's fine. Go to a website called usinflationcalculator.com. That is usinflationcalculator.com. In 1978, if you bought an item for $1,000, that same item would cost $3,864 today. That is a rate of inflation at 286%. That means your money is losing value. The end point is that the money becomes completely worthless, and that's, again, stocks, bonds, anything you have in the bank. It's because the money does not have any intrinsic value. If you have gold or if you have silver, that itself has intrinsic value. It could be used for other things. If you have money and you transfer that into food or land or other things that people need, it'll always sustain its value. Stocks, bonds, money in the bank, unfortunately, its exposure is just incredible. At any point in time, again, the bank can close. They do these things they call bank holidays. And when you come back in, you can only withdraw a certain amount. And the currency diminishes in value. And when this crisis happens, we're probably going to see people panicking to withdraw as much money as they can to buy as many goods and services as they can with a currency that is hyperinflating. What I'm about to say next may come as a shocking surprise to you, but Banking institutions don't care about you. 
They don't have your best interests. If they cared about you, they'd bail you out. They'd make sure that you had extra money. They'd lend you money without any interest. And here's another shocking revelation. But our elected representatives, doesn't matter if they have a D or an R in front of their name, are idiots. I mean, how can you trust anyone that would run up a $20 trillion deficit and going? You got to trust those people with your Social Security, with your retirement? They're idiots. You and me and our families and our friends, we're on our own. And that's what this show is about. It's about making the necessary preparations to get through this crisis, this unprecedented crisis that very few people are going to see. And the hope and expectation is that if we are mentally aware and we do take some precautions and preparations, we can not only get through this crisis, but start through the next paradigm on strong footing. A lot of people are going to get hurt. So do whatever you can. Listen whatever you can and take whatever actions you need to take. If you're only going to listen to the first five minutes of this show, please just stock up on some extra food. If you have some extra money, buy some gold or silver. Because when this currency collapse happens, you'll have something of tangible value. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Mr. Peter Schiff, President and CEO of Euro Pacific Capital. He's also a best-selling author. You can learn more about Mr. Schiff by going to his website at europac.com. You can also check out his fantastic radio show at schiffradio.com. Mr. Schiff, great honor to have you with us. Thank you for being on the program, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Mr. Schiff, for a number of years, you have been talking about the coming uh, collapse and the you know, hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar. Can you just explain why you have perceived this event so greatly in such detail and so many others have not? What are you seeing that others are not seeing? Well, first of all, hyperinflation is a worst-case uh, scenario. Hopefully, uh, cooler heads will prevail before it gets that bad. But we are certainly headed in that direction because we have all the bubbles that the Federal Reserve has inflated in the stock market, the real estate market, the bond market. Uh, the whole economy is basically propped up on a foundation of bubbles. And obviously, this is not a solid foundation. And the Fed is basically doing everything it can to prevent these bubbles from, from popping. But the only way it can do that is to keep on printing money, to keep interest rates near zero or maybe even negative, to keep doing more and more quantitative easing. And ultimately, the dollar will collapse as a result of that once people perceive that this is what the Fed is going to do. I mean, right now you still have people who actually believe the Fed can normalize interest rates and shrink its balance sheet because they think we have a real recovery. They haven't, they haven't figured out that we never recovered from anything. The economy is sicker than ever thanks to the Fed, and the only thing keeping us from completely collapsing is you know, the monetary narcotics that they keep injecting into the system. But the hyperinflation is basically the overdose. Uh, when you destroy the economy because you destroy your currency. And ultimately, the only way to save the currency will be for the Fed to dramatically uh, raise interest rates, and that will precipitate a financial crisis on an order of magnitude greater than 2008, with major banks failing, with the government defaulting on its debt, and no bailouts for anybody. Okay. You know, when people hear about these 
crisis, they they're always like, okay, well, it's a bunch of Wall Street guys. It's a bunch of you know people that uh, are, are you know involved in the financial industry. It doesn't really affect me. But you know, you've said for years that this is going to affect the average American. How, can you please elaborate how this next crisis is going to affect not only all Americans but potentially all people across the world? Well, because as the dollar loses value, and even if we avoid hyperinflation, we're still going to have high inflation. It's going to erode the purchasing power of the dollar, and that's all the average guy has. You know, he has dollars that he's saved, and his wages are in dollars. And Americans' standard of living is a function of the actual overvalued dollar, because Americans use the dollars that they earn or dollars that they just get sent by the government, because so many Americans don't even work anymore. They just collect a check from the government. But they take those dollars and they buy products that were made in other countries. But the people who produce those products in other countries, they're not getting anything of real value in exchange for their effort and their capital. They're just getting little pieces of paper that they really can't do anything with. And when our trading partners no longer want our money, when they actually want us to pay for their stuff with our stuff, when we have to export the stuff that we made to pay to, to import the stuff that they made uh, – you know, the imports collapse because we can't. We don't have the ability. We don't have the industrial capacity anymore. And, and so the dollar tanks, and now the cost of living skyrockets. Everything that Americans want to buy uh, will be too expensive and unaffordable. And so the standard of living will implode, and that's where we're headed. Okay. Now, at this point, do you see anything that can be done that can actually stop or slow down this inevitable this event from happening? Is there well, we, that we, can... we don't want to slow it down. We actually want to speed it up. Because this is inevitable. The sooner the better, because we have to restructure the economy. It's like if you're a heroin addict, do you want to delay uh, you know, you know, quitting heroin or, you know, so you can delay the withdrawal? No, you want to get it over with. You want to, the, the sooner that you can you know, get clean, you can go on with your life and you can get off the, the, the addiction. And so we need to allow this phony economy to collapse the sooner the better, because then we can replace it with something viable. It's like, why would we want to dig the hole even deeper? We're already in a gigantic hole. It's like the Grand Canyon of holes. We don't want to make this hole any deeper. We want to start filling it back up again. So we're going to have to you know, bite the bullet, and we're going to have to take some short-term pain. But if we do, there is a long-term gain uh, that will be derived. And one of your books that I want to tell you that I read in about a day, it's called The Real Crash, America's Coming Bankruptcy, How to Save Yourself and Your Country. You lay out your case very, very simply. And I have to say that I commend you for being able to present a lot of complex information very simplistically. Um, as far as the timeline, the big question is everyone wants to know when. When is this going to occur? Do you, have you sensed over the course of a number of years that we're getting very close to this event? Because you accurately predicted the housing uh, crisis of 2007. Um, you were right on the money with that. Is there any way you can kind of sense or tell when this big uh, collapse is going to Yeah. Occur? Well, you know, I started forecasting the problems in the housing market 2002, 2003. So I, I saw it very early, and it went on for years and years uh, before it finally popped. I mean, my book, uh, The Real Crash, was timed well because it came out in 07, and that was right around the time that the bubble collapsed burst, you know, and we had the crisis in 08. But I had been warning about it for years before it finally happened. And so this next crisis, I've been warning about this one for years as well. And, you know, there's no way to tell exactly when uh, it's going to implode, because it's it, this is an even bigger bubble than that one. And it, and, and it seems that the bigger the bubble, uh, the, the longer before they pop, because you have so many players involved in it, and so many people who are delusional with respect to reality. And, and so they continue to perpetuate what's going on. But, you know, the longer it goes, the bigger the bubble gets and the worse it's going to be when it popped. 
Uh, I think, you know, we're getting closer. I mean, when you've got, you know, so much of the world's debt now with negative interest rates, when I think you've got the Fed, you know, about to abandon officially its tightening bias and, and go to another round of easing uh, back to zero, maybe negative QE4. Uh, I think all the, the, you know, everything is lining up uh, for a crisis where people are now going to realize the predicament that we're in. And, uh, you know, gold is starting to tell you that gold moved up to new highs. Uh, the dollar index, even though it hasn't tanked yet, it stopped going up. Uh, and, uh, you know, so these are some signs that I think we're we're getting closer to that inflection point. Okay, we just have two more quick questions for you. One of them is this, is that if you look at the charts of Weimar Germany when they had their currency hyperinflate, you look at Zimbabwe when they had their currency hyperinflate, how would you compare the trajectory of the U.S. economy and when looking at the charts of those two um, countries, yeah, well, we're certainly you know more you know more of an advanced economy like Germany was, uh, you know, during Weimar Republic, and the, the the problem for Germany was that the Germans had a lot of debt that was difficult to repay, and so they printed a lot of money, and the debt was a function of the reparations uh, following following World War One. And, you know, America is in a similar position in that we have a lot of debt that we can't pay. And, uh, you know, so and we, you know, we're a major power. I mean, we're actually obviously even a bigger power than Germany was at that particular time uh, relative to the global economy. But if a major industrial power uh, like Germany can experience hyperinflation, so can the United States. And I would say that we are even in worse shape as far as how much debt we have and our capacity oh. to, legitimately, to legitimately repay it. And, you know, I think that, you know, we even have less of our industry left than Germany did. Even though they lost a war, I think they still had a better manufacturing capacity relative to their GDP than the United States does today. Uh, and, and so, you know, the lessons there or Argentina is another good example because Argentina, you know, around you know 1900 or so, they were one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I mean, not, not the number one, but maybe they were fourth or fifth. I forget. But they're a very powerful country, very strong economy. And then they went through hyperinflation. So it's not just, you know, countries like Zimbabwe uh, that can destroy their currency. If you make certain mistakes, and we're making all of those mistakes, we're making all the mistakes that Argentina made and that Germany made, uh, you know, you're going to suffer the same fate. Unless we, you know, we, we slam on the brakes soon enough, but you know that is going to be a very painful collision when we do that, because a lot of of the pain that the politicians and the bankers have been doing everything they can to postpone, we're we're going to have to deal with it. Uh, and of course, that's we're, that's not as bad as dealing with the pain of hyperinflation, but political expediency continues to cause politicians and bankers to try to postpone the day of reckoning as long as they can, and they're playing with fire. People listening to us right now, they have money in the bank, they've got dollars in their pockets. What are some of the ways, the immediate ways that they can do to start preserving their wealth? To pre pre you know, yeah, well, you want to you want to get out of dollars. I mean, that is that is the key. So, what do you own? Well, to get out, you can own other currencies that you think will be better than the dollar. Maybe the Swiss franc or the New Zealand dollar or the Singapore dollar or currencies like that. And what I help my clients do at Europe Pacific Capital, my brokerage firm, is we invest in securities, stocks, and bonds uh, in those countries. So we get our income, our dividends, or our interest payments in those currencies, and we have a good hedge against the dollar. So I can help people create portfolios of quality uh, foreign stocks and manage those portfolios of your Pacific capital. Also, you know, one way to not only get out of the dollar, but all fiat currencies is to own gold. And I think the price of gold is going to be rising dramatically over time. You know, this gold bull market started in about 1999 when gold was under 300. 
it did get as high as about 1900 in 2011. We had a three or four year correction of that move. Uh, the bull market has resumed. I think we're headed much, much higher on this leg. Uh, I think the gold stocks, too, for people who have more of a risk appetite and want to make, you know, 10 times their money or more, they can look at the gold stocks. You know, I've got a gold fund that I manage. And also, individuals can just save in gold. I mean, if you don't have a lot of money, you know, there's a company out there called Gold Money uh, or Big Gold, you know, sometimes they're known as, and you can basically set up an account for free online, and you can uh, save in gold, and you can spend gold and transact with in gold, uh, you know, and I, I think a lot of people are going to be moving to their own personal gold standard to try to escape uh, the, uh, you know, the, the inflation that the central bankers are creating. You know, why save a currency that's just going to lose value? Why not save real money that's going to maintain or increase its purchasing power over time? And, and gold money gives you the ability to do that. Mr. Peter Schiff, President CEO of Europe Pacific Capital, best-selling author, host of the Peter Schiff Show, Kentea, what a great honor it was to have you on the show. To learn more about Mr. Peter Schiff, please go to his website at europack.com. Peter has been so far ahead of this, and he's been talking about this event for years, and he really has got a lot of great insight, and it's insight that you can easily understand. So, Mr. Schiff, thank you so much, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Joining us now is Mr. Gerald Salente, founder and publisher of the Trends Journal. You can learn more about Mr. Salente by going to his website at trendsresearch.com. Mr. Salente, has been predicting and seeing trends throughout American history and world history for a number of years. He's got an incredible rate of accuracy, and he has been talking about this economic calamity that we've been discussing about for a number of years. Mr. Salente, great honor to have you back on the program. Thank you for being with us, sir. Thank you, Mr. McCormick. Always great being on with you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so you're talking to somebody about this economic calamity that you've been predicting. Can you please explain why this is going to happen and when you started seeing this event? Well, we, we started to see it in 2007. We took the domain name out back then, the panic of 2008. That's how sure we were. And what we're looking at is unprecedented money printing. And, of course, it began after the 1987 stock market crash. They started rigging the markets. Uh, plunge protection team. What do you mean plunge protection team? The casino's losing, and now you want to rig it? And then remember, they bailed out long-term capital management. Oh, if we don't bail them out, the world will come to an end. And that began under Alan Green's scam. I know they like to call them green spam, <laughs> but maybe it's green spam, green scan, because that's all he is. It's crappy to eat, and it's crappy to listen to. And he's the guy that helped destroy this country. Because then what he did, another low life, a no life of the higher ups. What he began to do following the dot com crash brought interest rates to 46 year lows and created the bubble, the real estate bubble. And then what they did, when that failed, We're going to kill capitalism with four words, and everybody out there, you just behave and do what you're told. We're going to call it too big to fail because we don't like our guys to fail. And we're going to steal your money and give it to them. And I got a better one. Not only are we going to keep this low interest rate scam going, and we're also going to do, of course, under Bernanke, another little worthless piece of nothing. 
And I don't say that loosely. All you have to do is listen to his words and read the Trends Journal because we kept quoting him back in 2005, Mm. saying that there was never a real estate crash in the United States at one time when all of the prices went down. And this is a Princeton clown that calls himself an expert in the Great Depression. Do you ever remember that one, Benny Boy? Another Benny Boy now working for one of the big hedge funds. Anyway, moving forward, then we got another one for you, quantitative easing. Yeah, that's right. We're going to keep juicing these equity markets no matter what. We're going to give them enough money to do all the mergers and acquisitions that they want and to do stock buybacks. The heck with the rest of the country. And I say that again only by the facts. The facts are, since 2009, 95% of the wealth created has gone to the 1%. The equity markets are only booming because of stock buybacks. They're running now in the last three months, the first three months of the year, at approximately $150 billion in three months. And now that's accelerating. So all they've done, and it's not only the United States, the world has created a a bubble. You know, Mr. McCormick, I like you. We've known each other a number of years. And I got a deal for you. I got some bonds to sell you. And when you cash them in in 10 or 20 years, because I like you so much, well, we're going to call it a negative yield, which means I'm <laughs> going to shift you really nicely, and you're going to get less than what you bought the bond for, because I like you so much. And $13 trillion, as we speak now, of negative bonds are being sold, of negative yield bonds. $13 trillion. It's one scam. It's Europe with their negative interest rates. It's Japan with their negative interest rates. It's, it's China. China's debt bubble has gone from $500 billion 20 years ago to $30 trillion today. Wow. That's right. So that's what we're looking at. And all they're doing is they're boosting the markets up with these negative zero and low interest rates. Listen, I have a master's degree. I never heard of negative interest rates or quantitative easing beginning in economics 101. Who could make this crap up? I'll tell you who. A bunch of central bankers. You know what? Nothing has changed since the day when Jesus Christ chased the money changes out of the temple. They just got different names now. It's the Goldman Sachs gang. It's the Merrill Lynch mob. It's the J.C. Morgan Chase crime syndicate. Nothing has changed. Okay, but Gerald, at this point, you know, you've been talking about this, this collapse where people on Main Street are going to be affected. But it's not just going to be a bunch of uh, people on the stock floor that are going to be panicking. It's going to be everyday average Americans, people across the world. How does that event happen? How, does it, how, does, how do you have a correction of that magnitude when it seems that all the defying underlying principles of the free market are being suppressed? How does, how do those, the laws of the free market actually transform or trigger a, a correction if, the, if it's never allowed to play out? It can't. And that's what's going on. That's why we've been off on our timing, on our forecast. You can't make forecasts anymore because there's no true thing as price discovery. So when do, when, do they, when do they finally send 
Bernie Madoff to jail or Ponzi. So what we have now is uh, a, a Ponzi-nomics. It's, it's the Ponzi-nomics has taken over capitalism. So it's very hard to forecast. We thought it would we our we would have bet and we did that this would have happened back in 2012. We had no idea they would do negative interest rates or zero interest rate policy. The Federal Reserve has only raised interest rates a lousy 25 basis points in over 10 years. 10 years. So there's no such thing as true price discovery anymore but at some point you know the criminal gets you know the scam what runs out when you're talking about these exits you're talking about these trigger events is it a faith in the governments is it faith in the people's ability to get return on investment what would you say would be the, the, the bigger pressure points for a uh, collapse oh it's it's a it's a um when when the uk left the eu or i should say when the the uk Said F you to the EU. <laughs> the uh, remember they were on the they, they had the British pound. Now what happens if France or Italy decides to exit? They're on the euro. It's a whole different deal. Okay. Now you're seeing a collapse of the euro. You're seeing it with the movement with the AFD movement, the Alternative for Deutschland in Germany. You're seeing it with Le Pen's party in France. You're seeing it with Beppe Grillo's five-star movement in Italy. You're see, seeing it with the Freedom Party in Austria. You're seeing it with Gert Walder's party in Netherlands, one after another. There's going to be a point when the EU breaks up. And when the EU breaks up, that'll be the breakup, we believe, of the global economy as we see it now. We need a trigger point, is what I'm saying. That seems like a probable one. The timing is difficult. Okay. You know, you've also discussed the idea that uh, sometimes these people are going to utilize war, I guess, maybe to keep things going on, or where they use war as a cover to kind of give a reason why in a particular economy it collapses. Where do you see war? Do you see war as a tool being used to keep this going or being used as a cover to kind of use it as an excuse for why the economy may have collapsed? Yes, I, I see it as both. And go back, I was mentioning what happened with the dot-com crash, March 2000, mm -hmm. which we forecast, by the way. It's in the Trends Journal. We had forecast in October of 1999 that the dot-com crash would happen before the end of the second quarter of 2000. Now, remember I talked about Alan Greenspan lowering interest rates mm -hmm. to 46-year lows. When did he do it? Following 9-11. So they used that. And also what people don't realize is that China got into the World Trade Organization, the WTO, two months after 9-11 when no one was watching. So they used these events and, and, and occurrences to fulfill their agendas. You know, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and ties to Al-Qaeda, Al-Nusra, Al-Capone, you name it, we'll make up anything. So what they'll do, and then if there's a terrorist strike, false flag or real, They'll leverage that for any way that they want because you get the people's mind off the economy in an instant when there's fear and hysteria in geopolitics that are trumping the economic situation. Okay. Gerald, one thing I you know, admire you for a number of reasons, <laughs> a lot of great things that you've done, 
but I love that you do these year, um, you do things during the year where you bring a lot of intellectual minds together and you you know, host conferences and you really kind of you know, get people excited about free market principles, free market style living. I was wondering if you'd be able to make a trend and prediction about the intellectualism or de-evolution of humanity right now. Because if you look around and you see people, you see millions of people playing this Pokemon game. It seems like they're in this reality. And you see a small percentage of people who are actually embracing free market principles. Where do you see, collectively speaking, humanity headed or America heading at this point as far as intellectual, as far as de-evolution goes? Well, the devolution is no question about it. I mean, we keep dumbing down. It's a dumbing down of society. The fish rots from the head down. You take that in the entertainment industry, which you touched upon, that has kept lowering the bar. The only way I see it changing is a renaissance. Go back to when the renaissance happened. It followed the Black Plague that wiped out some 60% of Europe from the top to the bottom, from the nobility to the peasants. didn't matter who you are, what you know, or who you know. It was followed by a renaissance, a rebirth, a rediscovery. Ale Romana e all'antica, they would say, in the manner of the Romans and the ancients to describe the quality of their work. They went back to when it was better. When was it better? When was it better? When was it better? And that's what we need, as I believe, in a renaissance. You can see, you mentioned in, I mentioned in entertainment and politics, look at art. Modern art, take your garbage can with a stick coming out of it with two wigs hanging off it and a uh, a piece of fur don't tell me that's art that's your attitude it doesn't take any skill to do that it takes great work and a lifetime of dedication to create great art so what I'm saying is the bar has been lowered at every level and until we have a renaissance that brings back joy beauty art, grace, and elegance, I don't see it happening. And Gerald, we just have two more questions for you. I appreciate your time being with us, and I realize that we are going over a little over, so I, I apologize and um, appreciate your time. When this thing happens, when this calamity does happen, where do you see as the emerging trends beyond this? What do you see as the future of America or industries that people can start working on right now or learning about right now in order to thrive after a global currency collapse? What are some of the things that you think will be very successful? Or well, again, we, we don't give financial advice. I want to make that clear. Okay, we do not give it. financial advice. Sure. What I'm a believer in is real estate that of the kind that I buy. And, of course, I own three of the most historic buildings in the United States. So I do them as as passion for what I believe in in this country. I could never be me if I was born in Italy. I only could be me if I was born in the Bronx. So that's what I'm so grateful for. So I invest in what I believe in, and I buy gold. I'm a believer in gold and silver. Again, what would you rather have, that bond I sold you uh, that you're going to cash in in 20 years and you're going to give me less than what you paid for it? Or do you think gold and silver prices will be higher than they are now in 20 years? And that's the question I leave everyone with. We had a conference here this past weekend. We had Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert from the Kaiser Report, among others that we hear as guest speakers. And it was a conference on becoming an on-trendpreneur. Not an entrepreneur, an on-trendpreneur. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a movement of people looking ahead 
so that they can invest in their future. So the things that I would suggest, anything to have to do with whole health healing. Yes, you use the, you use the conventional with the alternative. Anything having to do with clean food and clean water. Robotics. We, you know, we do work with Agora Financial, and we write columns for them on technology and advancements in those fields, as well as in the Trends Journal. So anything having to do with technology, but again, blending technology with the human experience, very important. Matter of fact, as we keep looking at all of these trends and looking at them all interlocking, the more that people become technologically addicted, which so many people are already, whether it's Pokemon Go or just walking down the street as among the walking dead, punching away at your that little thing in your hand. And I, I, I know why they call them handhelds now, because you're masturbating in public. That's all it is. It's a mental masturbation. So it's the perfect handheld device. So having said that, there's going to be another movement toward the natural to break the habit and to only use that for other reasons that you really need it for rather than an addiction to. So anything having to do with the advancements of technology, integrating from technology into low-tech or no-tech is also going to be another one. And anything having to do with energy, alternative energy beyond wind, solar, geothermal, or biofuel. Those are the big breakout points, just some of them in learning how to become an entrepreneur, where to live, where to move to, what product lines are going to fail, which ones we think are going to grow. I mean, think about it. You know, you go back to the 1980s and 90s, early 90s, Kodak controlled the camera business. Now they went bankrupt. You know, I mean, you think of the, the change that took place. Kodak, Kodak for a century. And now Kodak's zip. And Joe, one of the earlier interviews, I'll, I'll never forget, you said something I've always remembered, and you were talking about how you're, you were growing up, and I think your father had, had said something to you, said, you know, don't talk like everyone else. Don't think like everyone else. And if you look at America right now, you see this, you know, kind of collective push for everyone to conform, to think like everyone else, that everyone has to be the same, think the same, feel the same. How do you, what advice do you get to someone who is trying to separate themselves from the pack and have that uh, self-realization or self-actualization and be able to think for themselves? How do you think for yourselves in a world that just commands and demands conformity? Yeah, well, that was it. You know, when I was a kid, my father would say in Italian to me, Papagallo, parrot, stop repeating what everybody else is saying and think for yourself. And he'd say it like that. He wouldn't say it, you know, in a... You know, a father knows best TV way, you know. He'd give me a disgusted look. You stop repeating that. Think for yourself. So I realized that before I said anything, I better find as many facts as I can to back it up. And that's the beginning and the end of the story. You find the facts. Facts are real. Truth is real. No, truth is not subjective. If I told you I was six foot four and had blonde hair like Donald Trump and dyed it, that would not be the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gerald Salente, the publisher and founder of the Trends Journal. You can learn more about Mr. Salente by going to his website at trendsresearch.com. Highly recommend you get the Trends Journal. 
highly recommend you see a lot of Gerald's interviews. He's always on top, always cutting edge, and really always revealing what's about to happen. So he's done a phenomenal job over the course of 30 years, really done a great job. Mr. Salente, great honor to have you back on the show, sir. Oh, always, having you on. always great being on with you, Ryan. Thanks so much, man. We're now going to play an excerpt from an interview I did with Dr. Ron Paul about five months ago. If you don't know who Dr. Paul is, he served 12 terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's a three-time presidential candidate. He's been called the Thomas Jefferson of our day. He's also the founder of the modern-day liberty movement. And when it comes to the coming economic collapse, he's been talking about it for over 30 years. He's been sounding the alarm bells. Here's the interview. We talked about the financial collapse of 2008 and the one that's going to be coming. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about the coming global financial collapse and the end of the petrodollar? How do you think America, when the world will respond, do you foresee the pain of this event being so great that it will likely force people to either rediscover liberty, founding principles of liberty, or instead drive them in lightning speed into the arms of tyranny? And also, do you think America will still be respected on the world stage and will remain under one centralized government? Hmm. Well, that is a big question. Um, I, I believe that the financial situation of uh, the United States and the world is much, much worse than it was in 2008 and 2009. So uh, this whole idea that you can create trillions and trillions of dollars and just bail out all the mistakes uh, is not a solution. And even though you see some positive signs that the government reports uh, right now on the financial markets are doing well, is everything is based on debt. And much of it is malinvestment. That means the investments went in, in the wrong direction. Uh, because the truth is, is the middle class is getting wiped out and there's a lot of anger out there and the pension funds are all broke. And, you know, th that's why it's going to be uh, a real catastrophe when this comes uh, unglued. And it, and it will. Um, and th that uh, is something we don't know when it will come, but you cannot get prosperity by just creating monetary units. Uh, and that means that we're in a big bubble. The bubble for me is uh, with the dollar uh, as well as the bonds and the debt. And uh, this is uh, uh, this will be corrected. And most, no, not most, all the time when a country gets beyond its means of uh, – Paying for debt, they liquidate debts, and we're well past that. You know, at twenty trillion dollars, and it could be thirty trillion dollars in a short period of time. The debt has to be liquidated in order to get real growth again, and that's what the biggest mistake was in in '09. Is uh, the debt was propped up and more debt was added, uh, so that was a, a greater burden. But uh, there's only two ways you can liquidate debt. Uh, one is uh, if you're an individual and you have too much debt and the bank won't loan you any more money, you have to, uh, you know, downsize uh, your living standard, save some money and work harder and get another job and pay your debt down. Uh, a lot of people can't do that. and They declare bankruptcy and they don't pay the bills. But a government is um, is different. They uh, they don't downsize. Uh, uh, you can't solve the problems of uh, Puerto Rico by saying cut back on uh, on government benefits. I mean they they don't even function anymore. So you can't. Governments will not downsize. But the debt burden is going to continue to increase. But the debt has to be liquidated. Uh, governments try very hard to liquidate debt in a a painless fashion, and that is just by inflating. 
So if you can lower the value of the dollar and increase uh, the prices up by going up by 50% or 100%, then the debt goes down in real terms. So uh, uh, this is uh, one way of liquidating debt, and that's what they'll continue to do. And eventually that's the way the debt will be liquidated. Uh, There will be um, runaway inflation. The interest rates will go up, and then the whole thing falls down, and nobody can pay anything. Unless, and then the big question is, is what will come of this? And that is why studying economics, understanding Austrian economics, understanding the Federal Reserve is so crucial because the answer is found there. And it's not even very that, that complicated. Uh, you just have to have a different attitude about government. Government should be there to protect liberty and not to run our lives and not to police the world and, and, uh, not to plan, uh, the economy and not to have paper money and have some money. The founders understood this. They went through a crisis with the continental dollar, and that's why they said only gold and silver should be legal tender. So the answer is, is not all that complex. It's been known for a long time, but there's a better understanding now about Austrian economics than ever before, the understanding of monetary policy and uh, being able to refute all the bad ideas of socialism. Uh, of course, uh, the first uh, major proof of what I'm saying, saying occurred in, in 1989 and 1990 when the Soviet style of uh, economic planning totally failed. Communism was just refuted, and now we have, uh, and, and now we have another system coming coming apart. But the big question is: Are we going to invite just uh, a dictator come in and take over, which would be very dangerous? I'm I'm voting for and believe that it can be replaced by common sense, and that is, uh, yeah, we want to be a free country and and this is why when I talk to a large number of young people when they understand the moral principles of liberty being being left alone being able to keep what you earn being able to do what you want as long as you don't hurt people very very appealing especially if uh, you can emphasize the, the uh, prosperity that comes with it and the rejection of war and we uh, we need to reject the war if we want to solve this problem because we've been in perpetual war since World War II and none of, none of the wars have been declared. And we've been, of course, in the Middle East now for about 17 years just in Afghanistan. It's, just, it's getting, it's ridiculous. All that would change, but I think, uh, if the people and the coming generation understands this, the government will reflect the people's attitudes. Uh, up until now, uh, most people thought, well, There'll be perpetual wealth, and all we have to do is not so much work, but we'll just get a good lobbyist and uh, compliant politicians, and, and they'll pay for our school and our education and our food, and, and we can be the policemen of the world, and we can print the money because we have the reserve of currency. That's ending, but the uh, tenets of uh, liberty are uh, well understood, and they're available, and our job, if anybody's interested, has to be the spreading of this message, and, and that's what I feel like we all should be obligated to do. Dr. Ron Paul, it is such a great honor uh, to have you with us today. Sir, I want to bring to your attention that you are uh, one of my heroes, and to speak with you at this time is a, is a fulfilling of a dream. It's just amazing. And I want to let everyone know that Dr. Paul is author of several books. One of them is called The Revolution of Ten Years. Another one is called Liberty Defined. Another one is a fantastic book, which I love reading, called Swords into Plowshares. But you can learn more about them by going to the Ron Paul Institute website. Dr. Paul, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Joining us now is Mr. John Williams, economist, 
and founder of ShadowStats.com. Mr. Williams, thank you for so much for being with us today. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. Please call me John. Okay, John. Your company, ShadowStats, you actually do the real reporting that maybe the government doesn't because they, they come up with a report every now and then. They'll say, okay, well, the unemployment rate is 5%, yet there's 100 million people out of 330 million people not working. So it doesn't make any sense. Can you please describe some of the most profound um, differences of your reporting and then what the government is actually reporting? Uh, sure. Um, I've been uh, I've been a private consulting economist for uh, more than 30 years, and uh, I found out early on that I had to really understand the complete nature of the reporting of the government statistics if I had any hopes of being able to offer meaningful uh, forecasts uh, for my my clients. And uh, what I found over time was that the government's numbers increasingly seem to be uh, moving away from common experience, uh, where most people thought the economic statistics were uh, stronger than reality and that uh, the uninflation number, excuse me, the inflation numbers were, were being understated increasingly. And those are the the, the reaction of Main Street USA probably is one of the best guides you have to economic reality. Uh, the government's numbers over time have been changed in terms of reporting methodology, uh, generally building an upside biases to the uh, level of economic activity and the downside biases to the um, level of inflation. Uh, to give you an example, back in uh, the uh, 1980s, the Bureau of Labor Statistics added what they called a bias factor into the um, payroll employment. Uh, I talked to people at the uh, Bureau at the time, and um, very simply, they, uh, I mean, I asked, asked them why they'd done it, and they said basically it was to prevent political embarrassment. Uh, they had actually had an, a political embarrassment where they'd underestimated the uh, rate of jobs growth coming out of the 1983 recession. So they started adding 160,000 jobs a month for good measure to prevent such a thing from happening. Uh, the amount that's being added in now probably exceeds 200,000 a month, but they have um, they, they've, they've uh, redefined the bias factor. Now it's called a birth-death model. Um, they, they were getting a lot of criticism as to why they were just adding these numbers in, and uh, I, I, I can tell you that there's a very little solid foundation to that. It's it's one reason that the uh, jobs numbers keep growing each month, uh, more than people are, are seeing. You talked for a long time, and actually you know, predicted this for a long time, that the U.S. was going to I guess, default, and we're going to have this you know, incredible hyperinflation in the U.S. Can you please describe this, your, when you came to this conclusion, how you came to this conclusion, and when you see this event happening and what people should be aware of, what to look for when this event does occur. Okay. Uh, well, the, the, the problem here is the long-term insolvency of the U.S. government. And that's been an issue for a number of years. I started writing about uh, uh, a looming uh, hyperinflation and hyperinflationary Great Depression uh, back in uh, uh, 2000. 
think it was right, right after 2004. What had happened that year was the government um, put into um, play a, 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 ref, a refinancing and restructuring of uh, uh, Medicare. Uh, the effect was that it uh, it added uh, $8 trillion to the unfunded liabilities of the federal government. Let me just explain what's involved there. Uh, when they come out with their annual statements, they do look at uh, what the government's committed to into the future and whether or not they have, uh, they've arranged to fund it so that it's, it's covered as you go down the road. And at that point in time, the total federal debt was about $8 trillion. The $8 trillion in unfunded liabilities that was increased there, um, that was how much it was going to cost uh, in terms of today's dollars. It's net present values discounted for the future value of money. That's the money you needed to have in hand to cover what they had done at that time. They, they did not fund this expansion of, of, of Medicare and effectively doubled the, uh, the, the, the nation's uh, negative net worth. Right now, with um, a total debt and uh, uh, unfunded liabilities, you're, you're looking at a circumstance. And again, this is a net present value of the money involved, what, and the money you need in hand today to cover the future obligations of the, of the country. Uh, it's in excess of $100 trillion. We don't have $100 trillion in hand now. That's, that's, uh, it's more, that's than, the, well, more than the... Do you say that's economy. what the debt, actual debt is right now? Right. Right now, we need in excess of $100 trillion to fund what's needed going forward. There's no way that can possibly be done. Our GDP is around uh, $18 trillion. Global economy is around $50 trillion. And uh, it's getting worse each year, not better. Now, <clears throat> you have people such as Alan Greenspan. And uh, there's some old talk, oh, the U.S. government maybe is going to default on its debt. Uh, those were more technical Issues in the long-term solvency question, uh, where people were uh, uh, fighting over the short-term um, funding needs. Greenspan said, "Oh, you know, the United States is never going to default because it's, it, it it owes uh, its debt in dollars, and it can always just print the dollars that it needs." Well, that's what's going to happen if we get that far down the road. And the effect there is that um, as a, uh, they effectively monetize the debt, they just print the money. To pay off what's owed, and what happens is the money becomes worthless. That gives you an inflation, a hyperinflation, and uh, that is not right. a happy circumstance because the economy and most people cannot function under under that type of a circumstance. Um, at the same time, we're in a circumstance where the U.S. dollar is a dominant currency in the world. Eighty percent of uh, global currency transactions have have the U.S. dollar on on, on one side. Um, and we've got close to $20 trillion of dollars sitting outside the country that, that, um, in, in, in terms of liabilities with uh, people owning uh, U.S. treasuries and, uh, and, and uh, uh, other, other assets that are dollar-denominated. As long as the dollar is strong, the foreign investors can be reasonably happy, but as long as the dollar is uh, weakening, which has been the long-term trend here, and one that is uh, in, in, in increasingly coming back, and you're, you're going to see some very rapid flight from the dollar, um, as the dollar starts to sink, um, 
the foreign holders of the dollars are, are going to uh, dump them. And um, as they do, it'll exacerbate the uh, selling pressure on the dollar, become very highly inflationary here. Uh, the Fed's going to have to absorb those dollars, and uh, it's going to give you the type of inflation which will very easily evolve into uh, hyperinflation that we might not see otherwise um, until 20 years down the road. I thought we'd be seeing it by 2014. Um, a variety of things happened in, in between, which uh, uh, pushed it some into the future. But uh, what I th- when you when you first see it happening, when, when when is it mathematically impossible for this to to not go on any further because of the debt and just again because you have so much debt and because you have actually interest rates and if interest rates rise on servicing all that debt, you don't even have the money total GDP wise to even cover an interest payment on it. So I'm just curious, when is that? When is the mathematical end game for this? What would have to occur for this to mathematically not well, go on any longer? Well, I mean, math- mathematically, uh, I don't know. They might be able to get you another five years. I don't okay. think it's going to happen. Uh, I, th- I think we're very close to the brink. Um, okay. Again, the, 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 the reason is right now that um, effectively the system collapsed in 2008. We had a, a banking circumstance there, and, the, and uh, that when you heard the stories, oh, the, and this is what was being thrown out, thrown out by uh, our Treasury Secretary, and the Fed was looking at it, you know, the banking system is on the brink of collapse. It was. And they did everything, and I'm talking they being here, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury, did everything in their power uh, to create whatever money uh, to guarantee whatever debt, to uh, bail out whatever had to be bailed out, in order to prevent the banking system from collapsing, um, they created tremendous amounts of money, uh, spent a great deal of money, and they they saved the system from collapsing. Um, but the all the corrective actions or all the actions aimed at preventing the collapse uh, generally were short-term stopgap measures. They didn't do anything to address the underlying issues. There was nothing done to. Uh, address what was uh, then a collapsing economy. There was nothing done to address the long-term solvency issues of the United States, which had been um, beca- were becoming a very big issue in the uh, uh, global currency markets at the time. Um, they just bought some time, and they, at this point, were. Um, well, what would right. happen if they, they allowed that correction to occur? How bad would it have been in the U.S.? Would, would, he, would we have actually been able to recover? Had they not saved the banking system? Yep. Would we have uh, had hyperinflation well, here, in the U.S.? Here, here, here's, here's, here's their problem. Um, what you, you hear the uh, talk of uh, great fears of deflation. And uh, Bernanke was talking about how we could would have to prevent a, a 1930s-style deflation. Um, what happened in the 1930s was you had a collapse of the banking system. Banks just went out of business, and people who had deposits with the banks lost their money. They lost their deposits. The money supply collapsed. The money supply dropped by a third. The economy dropped by a third, and uh, those factors were all, all related. Um, ben uh, Bernanke got his uh, nickname uh, Helicopter Ben because it, back in 2002 he um, – gave a speech, and this before he was Fed chairman, explaining how the Fed could always create inflation and, and, and prevent that thing, that 30-style that circumstance from happening. 
what they had to do to prevent the what would have been a 1930-style uh, collapse uh, was um, to keep the banks from collapsing, to keep the money supply from collapsing. So what they did was they guaranteed all deposits. Forget the FDIC. All deposits were guaranteed. And it uh, again, it was a short-term measure, a stopgap measure, and I fully expect that the decision that was made there to prevent the banking system from collapsing was a basic one that they're going to con- that they're going to continue with. Um, the problem is that they don't have a way to keep doing this uh, forever into the into the future, and the economy is now getting uh, very much in their way because uh, I'll contend that the economy and the, this is the, the GDP is an area that gets heavily inflated. The economy, although it um, indeed crashed into 2009, as indicated, uh, did not um, then rebound. And if you if you look at the the GDP numbers right now, the gross domestic product is the broadest measure of economic activity. Adjusted for inflation, it's uh, 10 percent above uh, where it was uh, before it started to to collapse. Um, nobody's saying that. The average guy's certainly not saying that. And if you look at uh, the better economic series, you're not seeing that either. In fact, the manufacturing component of uh, of industrial production uh, never recovered its pre-recession high, and it's and it's heading lower again. Uh, we're we're seeing the economy turn down again, and uh, it is uh, as that happens, um, and the Fed's recognizing that. It, it, we're, we're, we're on the brink of what I think will be recognized as a, as a new recession in the next uh, uh, next several months as they, they, they revise the GDP numbers and we get some uh, f- further reporting here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fed can't let that continue for two reasons. One, it uh, threatens the banking system. It increases the stresses on the banking system. And the Fed's primary goal here is to keep the banking system intact. They talk about how, oh, yes, we're, we have mandates to keep the economy strong, employment strong, and inflation contained. That's fine, but their primary function in life is to keep the banking system afloat. They didn't do a very good job of that, and to the point it was on the brink of collapse in 2008. Well, uh, the banking system still not no- normal. It's not, it's not lending normally. Uh, all the quantitative easing was used to prop the banks, not, not the economy. That's the, the, the the, the economy is just for public consumption. Uh, it never, they never did anything to uh, help the economy. There's not much they can do to help the economy. That's an, an unfortunate thing. Um, but the uh, so what's going to happen here is that I think you're going to find them moving back to quantitative easing. Forget raising rates. The quantitative easing works from two angles. One, it, 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 it's used to provide liquidity to the banking system which again remains the Fed's primary concern. And the way the Fed did it, where they purchased the treasuries, it also provided liquidity to the U.S. Treasury. If you have a recession, the deficit gets worse, and uh, the Treasury has to borrow more money, and who's, who's, who's uh, going to lend them the money? Uh, China's cutting back in its uh, purchases, Japan, uh, South Korea, the, the big foreign buyers uh, have, 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 been, uh, have been selling treasuries, not buying them. And... Uh, so what happens here is, is the uh, Fed buys them <coughs> and holds them and effectively is monetizing the debt when they, when, when they do this. What, when the active phases of the, of the quantitative easing, when they were buying treasuries, 
uh, they monetized uh, three quarters of the new debt issuance of the federal government. That they, the, the federal government is going to need a liquidity boost here, which the Fed will provide with quantitative easing, and all that very rapidly becomes heavily inflationary and becomes very negative for the U.S. dollar. And uh, okay. what, what my contention is that they made the decision to keep the system afloat. Uh, they don't have any easy way out of this. They're going to continue to do this as long as they can. But as they move into that quantitative easing, watch the value of the dollar. It's going to plummet. And as the value okay. of the dollar sinks sharply, uh, you're going to see a big spike in oil prices, gasoline prices, which is going to uh, bring back the headline um, inflation numbers. And uh, sure. no. that that's going to be the, the basis for the beginning of the hyperinflation. Should know is the if the U.S. loses its uh, position as having the world's reserve currency and oil is no longer traded in U.S. dollars, yep. would that be the ultimate uh, kibosh? And on the would that could that be the ultimate? Well, it certainly would uh, accelerate the process. It'd be very bad uh, for the government. And as far as this process beginning the, the this total uh, hyperinflationary cycle beginning of the dollar what can people what are some of the signs that people can expect to see or what are some of the signs that you the, should, they should be what, aware what of when, timing? I'm sorry yeah no not just the what are some of the signs that people should be aware of as to say okay well this is the this cycle has officially begun for this big event to happen and what uh, are some the, of the signs the, the thing I would look at right now the primary trigger primary indicator will be the uh, what would be the value of the dollar and if you get uh, if you start to see panic selling of the U.S. dollar uh, against uh, the the major currencies, um, I would take that as a, an early sign that you're you're on the final downward path there. John Williams, economist, founder of Shadow Stats. I want to thank you so much. You gave us uh, more than enough time. Actually, a lot more of your time than we originally anticipated. Well, Ryan, I'm and I to... Ryan, I'm sorry I ran on there, but uh, thank you for having me on. No, you didn't run. It was great. You gave a tremendous amount of information. To learn more about John Williams, please go to his website at shadowstats.com. You get to get regular updates. And when you want to know what the real numbers are, when you want to know what the real unemployment numbers are, what the real inflation numbers are, go to John Williams' site. No one does it better. John, thank you so much. You're most welcome. Joining us now is Mr. Greg Hunter, founder of USA Watchdog. He hosts a national program every week. It's fantastic. You learn more about him by going to his website at usawatchdog.com. Mr. Hunter, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. You. Mr. Hunter, over the course of several years, you've been interviewing a lot of individuals talking about the coming economic collapse. You seem to understand it very well. Can you please describe, in a long story short, elevator pitch? What's going to happen? Why it's going to happen? And why people should be concerned? Now let's start with uh, we've been told that debt, Federal Reserve note, promissory note, note financial instrument. We've been told that money, that debt is money, and we've been told that debt bonds are assets. We're going to find out neither is true. I understand. Uh, debt is not money because a Federal Reserve it, Federal Reserve note is something that. You know, the, is, is written off a treasury bill. The treasury gives notes to the gives uh, treasury bills, interest-paying bonds to the Federal Reserve, and they give us their 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 Federal Reserve currency. 
And all these bonds that we have uh, uh, unbelievably grown, people say, we printed money. No, we printed bonds. The money printing's coming. We printed bonds, and the debt's no good. Look at Puerto Rico. There's the canary in the proverbial sovereign debt, sovereign bond. Oh, they'll always be able to pay coal mine. Nope, they're not always going to be able to pay. Nope, nope. And then look at all the negative interest rate paying bonds that is growing uh, you know, where you you got a bond and you here's ten thousand dollars. Give me back uh, nine thousand five hundred dollars in you know two years or whatever, whatever the interest rate would be. They're negative. So I mean, I'm just curious. Like, are you saying that right now that the uh, the only difference between the the system being working and not working what is is confidence? Is it because people? All right. So right now people believe in it. Why are people inclined to believe in it now and maybe not inclined to believe into it? Maybe whenever this event actually happens. Wait happened. till their EBT cards stop. Wait until the uh, their uh, their ATM card doesn't work. Wait until their credit card doesn't work. Wait until the uh, the money uh, that you can no longer borrow thirty year money at three point eight percent. Wait until they quit paying even more bonds that they never intended to ever pay back in anything uh, close to what the dollar value is now. Even if they do, and I think it's going to be a carnival of default in inflation. Since two thousand eight, we grew the debt. By about the world GDP. So we attacked the debt problem. That's really what, what it was. What we had a problem. Nobody trusted the bonds. Nobody trusted the, the debt. Nobody trusted the collateral, the bonds. We're back to the bonds. The bond market is orders of magnitude bigger than the stock market, the gold market, the four. It's huge, the debt market. And nobody trusted the bonds, and we're gonna, what's going to happen again? So what could trigger this? Any number, cornucopia, bank failure, Deutsche Bank going down, uh, uh, you know, a war, thinking of a battleship. Um, you know, who knows who's going to zig when they should have zagged? And you know, we're going to, this is going to happen in the in the nanosecond world, not in the Great Depression. You know, few minutes, few hours, hours, whatever. This is going to happen in the nanosecond world, which is why gold and silver are rising again. Back to the bonds. Nobody trusts the collateral. People don't trust the bonds. Where do you go when you don't trust things? Real stuff, land, gold, silver, diamonds, artwork. You with me? Yeah, absolutely. But what could actually start it, and when this thing actually starts occurring, which, what are some of the signs that we should be aware of? As I said, it, you know, what could, it's an already very weak system. I mean, look what they're doing. They're printing uh, all kinds of money. They suspended accounting rules. In 2009, they suspended accounting rules. There's a lawless society at the top. Not a single banker has gone to jail for admitting to being con- or convicted of, you know, rigging the LIBOR. London Interbank offered make rate $800 trillion a year, set off LIBOR. Uh, Forex market, $5.3 trillion a day, convicted the bankers. Is there any way that this thing can actually occur where it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're a frog in a, you know, pot? And you're being boiled slowly. And it seems like that's the way it's actually happening. Because if you look at inflation and you scale back even t- five or ten years, it's like, oh my god, you know, it's it's getting dramatically higher. Uh, no, forget a, five or ten years. I mean, uh, you know, everybody this, this that I talk was, to is, is pegs this collapses. And listen, they've done extraordinary things, crazy. They allowed fraud. They allowed criminal activity. They suspended accounting rules uh, back in 2009. They printed tons of money. They printed bonds. They uh, they did crazy. They bought, they allowed they gave money to banks. They, don't, they just did this recently and allowed them to buy their own stock. 
They've done crazy. The ECB has uh, printed. They're not even supposed to do this according to the Maastricht Treaty. They they printed tons of money. They bought debt. They bought bonds. They've done uh, put interest rates at negative over in Europe. They've held interest rates at seven percent, at seven percent, at zero percent. Uh, you know the pensions are gone. Anybody thinking they're going to they're going to retire on a pension? And this is millions of people: uh, the Air Force, government, state, local, teachers, uh, military. Forget it. You're you're going to get pennies on the dollar. Forget it. We don't have well, a we have a a system that is so fragile and barely functioning. I mean, if you removed right now, and the Fed said, you know, we're going to go back to we're going to go back to normal interest rates. We're going to run them up uh, over the next few weeks, uh, you know, the next few months. We're going to run it up to 2 or 3%. The whole thing would implode. All these bonds that are paying negative in point one point, you know, 1.7%, 8%, 2%, all these bonds. Imagine what would happen if bonds were 3%. Now, you may sit there and go, oh, 3%, that's not very much. Oh, you know how much... How many losses? How much losses in the multi-trillion-dollar derivative market and the multi-multi-multi-trillion-dollar bond market? The losses would be stunning. What we need is a debt wipeout. That's what they stopped. What we needed was bankruptcy, and we didn't get that. We got, in the big terms, this kind of kept going. They kept the water. They kept putting ice cubes in the boiling water to keep it from boiling. Well, they're running out of ice cubes. But if they are the ones that are running the system, yes, if they're the ones they're, that are pretty are much crazy. Been, yeah. No, they didn't allow rich people to take a hit. Rich people, you know, back in, I don't know, the 90s, I think they, the wealth at the top was, you know, $8 trillion. I think now somebody told me that the wealth at the top was $40 trillion. Rich people didn't want to write off their their booty. They didn't want to write off the debt. And all these people got into this idea that bonds were assets. Oh, this is an asset. No, let me tell you what an asset is. Land, artwork, diamonds, gold, silver, not even the cash you have. And it's a funny thing. You know, if you get a dollar bill out, it says Federal Reserve note. That's actually a debt instrument. If you get a quarter out, it says quarter dollar. That's actually real cash. That's actually a quarter of a dollar, not a promise to pay a quarter of a dollar. Wow. And I tell people, I think, I don't know if I've heard it before, that dollars are, they're expiring coupons. There are coupons that are eventually going to expire. They are a, they have no intrinsic value. Read at the top, $50 note, $100 note, note. Denotes debt instrument, like promissory note. Are there any particular guests that you've had on your show that you think that really have got this encompassed or really have nailed the whole picture? Well, clearly? many have gotten – many have missed the timing, and the reason why they missed the timing – and I even had Paul Craig Roberts, who's a Ph.D. in economics. He's an uberly smart guy. Uh, he invented Reaganomics, trick on economics back in the 80s with the Reagan administration, assistant treasury secretary. And that, we're talking about an assistant treasury secretary isn't somebody who you know, goes to get somebody coffee and picks up their dry cleaning. He's somebody that might have 500 people working for him, does the economic policy for the United States. He summed it up best saying I, it should have blown up a long time ago, but I didn't realize uh, the lengths these people would go to. I mean, they had uh, they had swap lines, which is phony, which is secret um, uh, money lines being given to the European Central Banks, and they're swapping the euros for dollars so they could fund themselves with dollars by the by the trillions of dollars. 
This is an unparalleled thing in human history. No times can you ever look back and say, wow, this happened back in the 30s. No, it did not. Hey, this happened back in the 1200s. No, it did not. We didn't have nanosecond delivery of funds. We didn't have, we didn't have uh, you know, derivatives, which are, are actually debt bets, and there's no standard. There's no uh, uh, guarantee. There's no oversight to them. That's you know Deutsche Bank has something like seventy five trillion in derivatives, debt bets, leverage. Let's call it leverage. Call it debt, leveraging up their bank. The GDP of Germany is three point eight trillion. I've been harping on this for a year and a half. Uh, guess what just came out a few months ago, a few weeks ago. I'm sorry. Uh, the IMF and the Federal Reserve deemed Deutsche Bank the most systemically dangerous bank in the world. Why would that be? I don't know. They have about twenty times the leverage of the economy of Germany. Wow. Are you understanding well, that that when this goes, you better be holding what you own. You better have your car title. You better have your house title. You better have your real some sort of real form of value. You better have food. You better have water. You better have real stuff. Because I think when this goes, my humble opinion is the collateral, the bonds, you know, debt is an asset. That's the collateral. Well, when that debt goes, when that's no longer, when that's a liability, they're going to come after the real assets on this planet. Land, minerals, houses, even if they devalue, we, we want your house, you can rent it back to us. Gold, silver, you name it. The real a factories, productive assets, uh, a farm, milk cows. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The last, I mean, I want to ask you one last question about this is, is there any other way that this can go different? Is this something that we just have to face? And what would you recommend people do to prepare? Buy real stuff. The first thing that's going to happen, the most dangerous place, when this first, this is going to happen so fast and so rough and so difficult that people are going to be stunned. This is going to likely happen over a week, and other people have said the same thing, too, and I believe this is true. But it could not. It could just happen. You could just wake up one morning, and an hour later, everything might be shut down. All electronic transfers could be shut down. Cash is going to work really good for a while, but the most, two most dangerous places to be when this thing happens is a grocery store, especially if that grocery store has a convenience store, a grocery store, I mean, a, a gas station, especially if the gas station has a convenience store, and a grocery store. Right there. Those are the two most dangerous places that are going to be in this country when this happens. You need to make sure you're in a position where you don't have to go there, and at least for until this thing gets settled down. It's, so it's a reset. It means a total reset. on Let me tell you what reset means. Uh, your pension? Yeah, you don't get that. Uh, your 401k? That's in the bond market. Well, wait, wait, wait. You did what? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's, oh, oh, yeah, that brokerage went down. I'm sorry. It went under. Yeah, they hypothecated your funds. What do you mean hypothecation? Yeah, that's on, uh, that's on page 17 on paragraph 5, subsection C. Yeah, it tells you all about hypothecation. We can loan your stuff out if we get into trouble. That's just what MF Global did. MF Global loaned out people's private uh, uh, accounts. Uh, they were supposed to be cordoned off, segregated, as they call it, but they loaned it out. And people like even like uh, Gerald Salente lost money on it. He lost. He never did get made completely whole. They they gave people most of their money back. I don't know of anybody that really and truly got all their money back. Mr. Greg Hunter, founder of USA Watchdog. Go to usawatchdog.com. Highly recommend you listen to his show. He's had some real incredible interviews. And, Greg, it's really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for being with us today. Stock up on food and water. If you do nothing else, do that. 
Okay, everyone, that concludes part one of our four-part series on the coming economic collapse. Special thanks to our exceptional guests. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. 